Welcome to Real Talk, Real Women, Breaking the Silence Around Abuse. I am Gemma Sereniti Gorokov, your host, and today we have the honor and the privilege of welcoming our guest, Rhiannon Parker. She is a 34 years old secondary school physical edu education teacher. Exercise, health, and fitness have always been a passion for her. Growing up, Rhiannon played representative volleyball and netball from a very young age, and she continues to participate in these sports at a competitive level. She cannot imagine a life without team sports. At the age of 18 years old, Rhiannon experienced a deeply traumatic event. She was gang raped by a group of five men after getting separated from her friends on a night out. This horrific experience left her feeling vulnerable, unsafe, and burdened with misplaced blame. Overwhelmed by fear, guilt, and shame, she kept her ordeal hidden from the world for two years. It took immense courage for, for Rhiannon to finally share her truth with her mother in response to the heartbreaking question, what's wrong with you? And then she spoke. As a result of this trauma, Rhiannon developed complex PTSD, chronic anxiety, anorexia nervosa. She will tell you more about that. Mm -hmm. However, her journey toward healing and recovery began when she found the strength to seek help. Currently, she sees her psychologist weekly and her dietitian fortnightly, so twice a week, no, every two weeks. Yeah, once every two weeks. Once every two weeks, okay. While she still faces the challenges associated with her diagnosis, Rhiannon has a strong support network comprising her cycle, her circle of friends and her mental health corner in her team. She acknowledges the need for ongoing therapy and maintenance, recognizing that lifelong support is essential for her well-being and to become the best version of herself. Join us as we delve deeper into Rhiannon's story, exploring her resilience, her ongoing healing process, and the lessons she has learned along the way. Through her experiences, Rhiannon demonstrates the power of seeking help, the importance of community, and the determination to overcome adversity. Rhiannon, such an honor. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited. That's amazing. Where do you live? You have a gorgeous accent. Australia. So I'm from Melbourne, Australia. So yeah, down oh. south Australia. Awesome. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. And for those who are asking, I have a French accent speaking American. That's pretty cool. That is, cool. That is pretty cool. Yeah, I have a Victorian accent. So I think a lot of people associate the Australian accent with Steve Irwin um that's more i guess northern queensland so yeah i'm a little bit more southern <laughs> that's nice thank you <laughs> yes very interesting the sound counts a lot how we hear each other how it sounds like how we recognize and we supposed to get podcast part of it we also like listen and try to figure out okay where is she from awesome. absolutely <laughs> all right so my first question for you we are on real talk real women breaking the silence around abuse we read in your bio that you have gone through a traumatic experience that actually shaped the rest of your adult life so far Absolutely. can you tell us a little bit about it and the consequences on your life 
Absolutely. So I guess for me, I had quite a sheltered um, childhood. Um, I went to a great school, but I think learning about, you know, street smart um, safety when, when leaving school was not necessarily something that was spoken about. So when this um, happened to me, I had only just turned 18. So I was only 18 for a few days and it was coming into Christmas time. I just finished year 12, which is our final year of um, high school when we're waiting to go into university. So we'd just gone on schoolies, which is our celebration of year 12 is actually finishing our entire school experience. Um, growing up, again, um, in my bio too, it says that I played a lot of netball and volleyball. So I'd just gotten back from a volleyball tournament as well. So it was a good opportunity for myself and my school friends to go out and experience, I guess, what the nightlife was in Melbourne. I guess that's what we're well known for. Um, sadly for me, this night did end um, quite traumatically. I think, um, you know, looking back at it, it was it was quite a busy nightclub. I did get separated um, from my friends and I was trying to find them um, in doing so. I just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and, and I ran into this group of five men who, who did gang rape me. And I think when it happened, I went into complete straight denial. It felt like a really, really bad dream that I'd woken up from and I, I wasn't sure what was real and, and what wasn't. I think those lines were really blurred. All I knew is that I had this really strong feeling of having done something wrong, blame. Um, I think rape culture is something that the world is still working on. And I guess my understanding of being a rape victim at that time was there was a lot of blame towards the victim. You know, what were you wearing? Um, were you drinking? What time was it? Why were you walking by yourself? And I think all these things were going through my head and I associated that with myself having been the reason for what happened actually happening. Um, I remember going home and making a really strong decision. That this is something that I needed to keep with myself, that if I didn't tell anybody and I continued my life as best as possible, I'd be in control and things would be okay. Um, and that became my mantra for quite a long time. Um, I guess in keeping a secret, we know how hard that that is and how much it can take a toll on you. And for me, that was... Um, isolating myself from the rest of the world. So that two-year period I didn't get help was basically staying at home. The only time I left home was to play my sport, which, um, and I'll go into a little bit later um, about my anorexia and actually losing my privileges of playing sport. But I left for that. Um, I left to go to university and that was it. That's the only reasons I left. And I think my friends being as young as what we all were and me not having the ability to talk about what I was going through, um, it created a lot of distance. It created a lot of separation. And I lost a lot of those high school friendships quite early because, you know, that was a time for us that we could finally go out drinking. We could finally go out and um, enjoy the nightlife. And that was something I was extremely terrified of. Um, in the meantime, I think I, I grew up with two sisters. So I've got two younger sisters and my mum and dad were living at home and I did. I withdrew myself completely from them and, and that created a big fracture 
especially, I guess, with the relationship I had with my sisters. So I really had just me. And um, it really, I guess, we know when we don't talk about things, when we don't get help, we we find another way to cope. You know, the human body is really, really smart. Um, our brain's really, really smart. And I guess for me, I was always quite um, physically active and, and I always consider myself healthy. And I'm going to put that in inverted commas because my 18-year-old self understanding what health and wellness was was probably quite limited. Um, but I kept telling myself if I'm healthy, if I'm fit, if I, if I can play my sport well, everything will be okay. I'll be okay. You know, people will see me for being good at something. I'll feel like I belong somewhere and it'll be like nothing ever happened. Um, my limited understanding, I guess, of health and wellness led me down this complete spiral of over-exercising um, and restriction. I remember reading a lot of magazines, um, Googling a lot of celebrities because what we saw back on social media then, even now, was them having their lives together. They looked happy. They looked well. They looked like they were earning money. They looked like they had all these things that I wanted. So if I could exercise and eat like them, maybe I could feel that similar success. Um, when I started going down this journey and I started to lose weight, I automatically received compliments. I received compliments about my body and how I looked. And I've always looked quite athletic um, and I do have quite a muscular body type. So, you know, losing weight, I was getting a lot of that positive body compliments and it actually was giving me that recognition that I was really seeking. I just wanted to feel like I belonged and, and people liked me and, and thought I was good at something. Um, which probably forced me to push harder um, to a point where I did lose a severe amount of weight and I was exercising to a point of exhaustion. Um, and this exhaustion included getting up, having breakfast and needing to go back to bed because getting up and having breakfast was hard. Um, it wasn't until within that two years we actually went out for my middle sister's birthday um, it was actually her 18th birthday and we just went out for a family dinner and I happened to see somebody who was not this person but it reminded me of one of the men um, who sexually assaulted me that night and I had one of my many anxiety attacks and my mum was so angry at me because she was so embarrassed it was quite a busy restaurant um, and I did make quite a large scene to a point where my mum needed to take me home and we started yelling at each other. We had a big screaming match and she finally actually said to me, what's wrong with you? And this was probably the first time somebody actually gave me an opening to ask me what, what, or, yeah, what was going on. I feel like before then people were complimenting me on what I was doing well but they were ignoring the fact that I was significantly losing the weight. My parents ignored the fact that I wasn't going out and being social and that I I, I was losing friendships, um, that my sisters were arguing more, that I was probably losing more and more sport privileges because I wasn't performing because I was so exhausted. And I managed to actually tell mum what happened to me. And it's a memory that I... I have very, very well known in my head and I can't get rid of because I think it's something that terrifies a parent. 
um, hearing that this something happened to their daughter and it's something that was completely out of their control and yeah it, it did break my mum's heart and it wasn't over those two years that my parent didn't parents didn't know what was going on I just feel like they didn't know what to do it's not something that we, we talk about and that you share with your friends you know um, so it was quite traumatic and it was quite hard for them to hear and I guess from that moment um, it did open up the avenues of getting help you know my parents were able to help navigate me through that um, the first psychologist I saw actually wasn't for me I think I saw a couple of psychologists before I found one that actually resonated with me um, I guess after that two-year period I was pretty deep in having complex PTSD I think it I saw the sexual assault every day I was flashing back all the time there were a lot of triggers eating was challenging um I felt if I wasn't moving if I wasn't exercising if I wasn't cleaning I thought I was being lazy and I, I was failing at a person um I ended up going through hospital admissions, um, psych wards. I went through a number of dietitians. Um, some of those hospital admissions and those therapists were really good for me. Others were quite traumatic. I think with eating disorders in particular, it's more than just eating food. Um, and I think that that's something this world is slowly starting to learn, that it is the control mechanism. It's gives us a, a sense of that we have control and we have a say over our own lives but it has nothing to do with food and I think a lot of what I went through was about weight restoration but it didn't necessarily tackle those underlying primary symptoms that were going on like the sexual assault um thankfully now I'm in a place where I am seeing my um psychologist um every week and I love seeing my psychologist. I actually get excited to see her because I know it's time where anything that's going through my head I can say in a room with absolutely no judgment. Um, I have a beautiful dietitian who works really well with me and who's quite um, aware of how my eating disorder works. Um, she was the first dietitian that didn't prescribe calories for me. Um, wasn't necessarily completely about weight restoration. She educated me about food, but she worked with why I was restricting certain foods and why there were certain fear foods on my list. So it has taken some time, but I've finally got a really good therapy team in my corner. Um, over, I suppose, that two years, losing a lot of friendships, um, I've also met a lot of amazing people. Um, I think I had to learn who deserved to be in my inner circle um, and who didn't. I think that was a really important lesson for me. I think not everyone deserves to know your story. Um, I found that my story was very heavy for a lot of people and it wasn't necessarily always okay for me to tell them what actually happened to me because for people who haven't experienced sexual assault and trauma, it can be hard to hear. Um, our friends and people who love us dearly want to fix the problem. You know, they want to help us. And when they're in a situation where it's completely out of their control and it's not as easy, I mean, it, I suppose it's easy for them to say, just eat. You know, what's the issue? And when I can't do that, that can become very frustrating for them. 
because they can see the fix, they can see the out, but they don't necessarily have insight into why you're acting in certain ways and why you're following with certain um, rituals and why foods are fear foods and why are we self-punishing today? Um, so for me, I have committed myself to lifelong therapy. I think for some people they can find recovery and they can see a psychologist for years and, and, and then they can, they can manage themselves and, you know, that's amazing to, to hear um, and to see those people doing that. I guess I'm in that category where I've tried to walk away from therapy before and it hasn't been helpful for me. Um, I need that constant check-in. I need someone on my ass essentially to make sure I'm doing the right thing um, and to keep me accountable. I'm a sports person. Yeah, your coach always keeps you accountable. You know, um, my mental health team keeps me accountable. My friends keep me accountable. I've got really good friends that are honest with me um, and tell me when I need to get help and when things are getting out of hand. That's fantastic. Rihanna, thank you for your raw honesty. Mm -hmm in that conversation. Thank you for daring to tell your story because by doing it publicly on a show like ours, it allows those who want to listen to stay and listen, those who do not want to listen to simply stop there. Yeah. And that is, at that time it's their choice, but it does not impact you any longer. But your story is out there because your story despite the horrific event, is also a story of an eating disorder with its source, mm. with the origin story that generated it. A complex post-traumatic stress disorder, a CPTSD, it's a complicated road to untangle. It's not something like, okay, you know what, just eat and, and, and stop bothering. I mean, they are not raping you anymore. Move on. It's yes. so impossible. It's so not that way. No. Our brain do not work that way. And I'm very grateful that you have all these people in your corner who really have your best interest in mind and allow the time, the space and the non-judgment non to, to process. And mm. it takes years, that's fine, to process it, you know? Yes. So in your story, if I try to pinpoint that shift in consciousness, that, mm. that shouting match with that question, what's wrong with you, that you took on to actually say, because I have been raped. Mm. Oh, God. I, I cannot imagine her face because I did have that face when my son told me that he was raped by his father. Mm. And when I was like, mm. couldn't breathe anymore. It's so shocking. And from what I understand, after that, your both your parents, after the initial shock, mm. started immediately to bring you professional help. Mm, yes. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, they are really good-hearted and, and very well-meaning parents with you. To yeah. To you the best, to shelter you from all the bad, and then sadly something happened, but then to help you recover mm. with whatever is available. And they may not be equipped to help you, but recognizing that they are not equipped and helping you, that is gold. 
how would you pinpoint <coughs> that decision to get better because your parents bringing you to the psychiatrist or psychologist mm. does not mean you have chosen to get better what is that moment in consciousness when you decide mm. to get better yeah it's it's a really good question i think a lot of people that i've spoken to along the line have this one pinnacle moment and and you know some people talk about maybe having a really important conversation with someone that triggered them to get help um a voice um i think it's different for everybody i didn't have a specific moment i think i had a lot of little moments um you know i think all i ever needed in those two years was actually somebody to ask me if i was okay and that question was never asked and it almost gave me an excuse to hold it dear um from the moment my parents went and got me help i remember a psychologist i loved and i actually saw her for 10 years i reckon it took her maybe six weeks to crack me and it's because i was seeing a therapist but i wasn't necessarily ready to talk about what was going on i think i was terrified of talking about the sexual assault um i couldn't remember half of it at that particular point in time and um for those who haven't experienced disordered eating or an eating disorder um it is one i think it is statistically the biggest killer in mental illness and the reason being is because it's a mental illness you want to keep it's you know when people say that you feel safe in dysfunction that's exactly what an eating disorder feels like. Um, I actually call my eating disorder Emily. Um, the psychologist I see now is um, got me actually got me to name um, my eating disorder a few years ago, and it's great because it just makes me feel like it's you know Emily's within me, but I'm also Re. I'm Rhiannon, and, and Emily's sort of like a separate entity. Um, this psychologist I saw for ten years. We finally got talking, I guess, about. The gang rape and what went on and, and we worked through a lot of that and we worked through a lot of my complex ptsd but i wouldn't let her touch my eating disorder i wasn't ready to give that up because that was i had this fear of if i if i gain weight i'd be less athletic people would not accept me for who i was i i, I would be less worthy and it took me a long time to be able to let go of that and it was actually only recently, I'm going to say, I guess I had a moment. Um, and actually, it was at the beginning of the pandemic for me. So it was only quite recent. Um, I was allowed to return to sport. I was playing a lot of sport. Volleyball for me um, was always a challenging sport to play because sometimes I used it as a means of self-worth. Um, they say it's the second hardest sport in the world to tennis um because of the open-endedness of the skill and it's a game of errors which is not great for somebody with perfectionistic traits because you do make a lot of errors and you have to be okay with it and i was at this tournament um in a in it was in country victoria um i played a game and it wasn't up to my standard and i refused to let myself eat because i didn't want to reward myself for a poor performance and a really good friend of mine actually said to me, we, you're not going on the court next game unless you eat. And so I ate and then she said, I'm really proud of you, but you're still not going on the court because I need you to look after yourself better before we put you on the court and put you in a situation where you actually need to expend energy. 
and I had an absolute meltdown. Um, it was a three-day tournament and it was probably one of the hardest three days of my life. Um, that was a moment for me where I actually thought I actually need to work on my eating disorder. I actually need to let Emily go. I don't know how to do that and I'm scared because she's such a big part of me and she keeps me safe. But she also, although she stands for in my brain all these things I want, she's actually hindering me from getting those things as well. Um, so when I got back from this volleyball tournament, um, my told my psychologist I think I was ready to start talking about my eating disorder and she said to me, I'm going to put a spanner in the works and I'm actually going to get you to see one of my um, co-workers who specialises with eating disorders, which if anyone's been to a therapist and they suggesting another therapist, it can feel like a breakup um, at the time and it can be really confronting. Um, at the same time, Medicare, which is the healthcare system in Australia um, that we use, um, started a new initiative. So for you guys who aren't aware, I guess, of the healthcare system that works in Australia, we get a certain amount of sessions when we get a mental health care plan, and usually it's only 10 sessions, and that's funding to go see a psychologist. 10 sessions a year doesn't cut it for somebody with complex PTSD and an eating disorder um, and a lot of other traumas. Um, just at the beginning of that year, Medicare released for anybody with an eating disorder, they could get up to 40 sessions, so four zero with a psychologist and up to 20 sessions with a dietitian, which for somebody like me, amazing. You know, I'm middle class. I didn't have a lot of money to be able to commit to go seeing a therapist. So you do, you use your 10 and, you know, if you went backwards, you went backwards. It was really, really hard unless you had the money to pay outright. So I took this for complete advantage. So at the beginning of 2020, I saw a new psychologist I saw a new dietitian and Australia in Melbourne in particular had the second harshest lockdown in the world just after China um, to a point where we couldn't be outside for more than two hours, we couldn't travel more than five kilometres and we all had to work from home. So I was actually teaching from home, basically locked inside my house um, with my family at this point in time and as much as this was a challenging time for me, it actually took away all my distractions. I didn't have my exercise. I didn't have my sport. I didn't have my friends. I didn't have work to go to. I actually had to, I had the time to actually work on myself. I could see my psychologist and I could see my dietitian and I could work on the homework that had given me without finding reasons to not. I didn't have a reason. We were locked inside our houses. Um, and we were locked inside our houses for nearly two years in Melbourne, Victoria. So it, it was quite challenging. But I think one of the biggest moments in my life was actually that volleyball tournament and my friend telling me I couldn't go on the court and actually telling me that my eating disorder was getting to a point where it wasn't safe for me to play sport. Um, along the road, I've had um, one of my um, really, really close um friends um I love her to death she's a great friend in that she won't tell me what I, I want to hear she'll tell me what I need to hear um and sometimes that can be really hard but there have been times where I've had to step up my therapy or I've had to share things with my therapist and um, my mental health team because she's 
openly told me that there are things going on for me. Aside from that, I feel like before the pandemic, it was one day at a time. Um, there were times that I contemplated and attempted suicide. Um, and there's still a lot of times today that I want to give up. It's just sometimes, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that can relate, it's overwhelming. Life is overwhelming. We feel like we can't do anything right. And the easiest thing in our minds at that particular point in time is to just give up and let it all go. Emotions in our brain are so complicated. For me, it was just one day at a time. It was reaching out to friends and it was just deciding each and every single day to get out of bed, to go to work or to uni when I was a little bit younger. Sometimes it's just phoning a friend um, just to talk to them, just to hear their voice, because that's a really good reminder as to why it's important to be here. So, yeah, I guess to answer your question, yes, there were moments for me um, and it probably came from people in my inner circle um, and I thank them every day for having that really raw, hard conversation, even though I didn't take it so well in the first place. And as much as the pandemic was really, really hard, it did give me opportunity to stop hiding and actually confront what was going on. And that dietitian and psychologist that I started seeing at the beginning of 2020, I still see today. I bloody love them. Um, I owe them so much. Um, they really go out of their way to look after me. And that's contacting me outside of their work hours. They respond to my emails. Um, they tell me again what I don't want to hear, but I need to hear. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky and I'm very grateful. It's a beautiful testimonial. <clears throat> Thank you for sharing that with us. Thank you for giving life and giving a, a, a purpose to your experience. We can all leave our experience in our heads, in the silence of our homes, behind closed doors. We can all have a, 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 a gigantic fantasy lens in our mind. But when we actually speak it out, when we share it with others, when we write it down and we are actually able to look at it and make decision and change the course of action, this is when we become empowered because we get our power back. Otherwise, our stories have the power over us. Correct and how to get back our power to choose or to let Emily go in your case, understanding that Emily is the name of your um, eating disorder living inside of you if you want to dissociate from it and mm -hmm. name it. It's a good way to go, to, to go about that because it really, somehow it is, it is very similar to having indeed someone living in you with you and Yes. for the same air to breathe and it's like whoa yep. I'm going to succeed <laughs> in that one <laughs> absolutely and look I have a love-hate relationship with her I understand why she exists I tell her to f off a lot she's annoying um there was a big point in time she kept me safe um and it's there are days that I'm battling her constantly um there are days that she's much quieter and she lets me be in control um it's hard and it's hard to manage her and I think she's always going to be a part of me and I have to be okay with that and I have to manage her it's like any disease yeah she's not going to lie down quietly I've got to do my work every day and the easiest option is just to let her run rampant and do her thing 
um, or I can make the really hard decision to fight her knowing that long-term I'm going to be better off. It's completely in your own time that you make these decisions. It can take years, it can take days, simple, because it's really proportionate to how you feel empowered enough mm. to let her be there or to actually fire her and let mm. her go. And that's the, no, nobody can tell you when is that time. Mm. But you will feel one moment, okay, I think I'm good enough. Absolutely. Absolutely. It will come. I know it will. Oh, yeah. I'm sure of that. I'm sure of that. And what is wonderful is that you have embraced to long-term mental health support, mm. dietitian support. That uh, support is essential. That is your life saving, your, your, your saving grace. Yes. To have absolutely. that kind of people in your corner. Yep. I wow. found really good people. And I think, you know, anyone looking for, a, you know, a therapist out there, a dietitian, any mental health practitioner, I think you need to remember that at the end of the day, you're shopping around for them. Um, they're not shopping around for you. You need to find people that you feel safe with and resonate with. If you're sitting with someone that you don't feel that you can be honest with, then maybe they're not for you. And that, and that's okay. Totally um, okay. Yeah, you need to find the people that just sit with you, that you can tell them your deepest, darkest secrets, and you know you're going to feel safe. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And uh, most of them now offers video session. So you yes. don't even have to actually go there. Thanks to the pandemic, we all learned how to tele yes. not phone but tele video meet Absolutely. and do our work that way because most of the work we do at the end of the day is talking mm -hmm. thinking together creating something together putting our brain exchanging ideas this mm -hmm. is most of our, of our work yep so most of it can be done on on zoom on video conference Oh, we're so lucky. And I think the pandemic in particular for a lot of countries has really opened up that avenue. Um, you know, I, I, I'm speaking on behalf of um, Melbourne, Australia, but we everything was done virtually, including teaching. I taught all my classes online. Um, yeah. I saw my therapist in person, um, but I had to see my, you know, dietitian online. Um, we weren't allowed to go over to people's houses. I had to speak to my friends online. Um, you know, we're using QR codes everywhere we go now. It's so much more accessible. Totally, totally. That's cool. Hmm. So how can people reach out to you and connect with you at this time? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm currently co-authoring a book for the Imperfectly Perfect campaign. Um, they're on all platforms of social media, so Imperfectly Perfect campaign, all one word. Um, that's a really great space to follow. Glenn, who runs that um, campaign, is absolutely outstanding and amazing so a lot of my content's on there um i don't really use facebook that often anymore but my instagram is rhiannon so my first name so r-h-i-a-n-n-o-n underscore kate k-a-t-e with the number two at the end um it is a private profile um it's private purely because i'm a secondary school teacher i don't want students finding me they do find me they're sitting in the friend request there and 
sadly they're not going to be added but um if anybody does want to follow have a conversation or reach out to me please feel free to add me um and i'll have a conversation with you i just need to feel so that you're not a student first <laughs> all right you said imperfectlyperfect.com i just tried it it is not exactly yeah, perfectlyperfectcampaign.com oh campaign I campaign at the end, or if you put the little at imperfectly perfect campaign in Instagram, um, follow them. What Glenn is doing is amazing. Um, and that's where you can keep up to date with what's happening um, with my book coming out in January next year, which is super exciting. Nice. So lots of things happening. I never saw myself sitting down and, and, and talking to people and, and sharing my story, um, writing a book. Um, I'm a gym teacher for a reason, um, but I've got a lot of people in my corner helping me out with this. And the more I speak about it, the easier it gets. And, and, and I really hope anyone listening to this who um, is, is feeling that, you know, they, they need that something. Um, talking is absolutely the best medicine. You know, they say it raises, it, you know, you need it. It's, oh, it takes a village to raise, you know, a child. Um, we all need that village, you know. We all need the people around us. We're not designed to live on our own and, and keep things in our head. Totally, totally. Mm. Cool. So I found that imperfectlyperfectcampaign.org, not oh, .com. Okay. That is a big thing. .org, this is why. <laughs> okay, so found it, amazing. And uh, yeah, that's, that's wonderful. And your uh, Instagram. At any moment in time, later on, when you have a website, another link, other things that you allow people to actually find you and reach out to you, <laughs> let me know so that I can update the description and keep people up to date because that, is, that conversation is going to resonate for decades to come. Yes, so absolutely. It's important <laughs> to keep it up to date and keep it alive. Absolutely. I'll keep you guys updated. I'm, I'm only just started recently talking about my story, so I'm sure a website and all sorts will come for now. A blog. So yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Rihanna, it has been an absolute honour, pleasure to have you join us. Thank you. And we definitely look forward to continuing to accompany you along your journey. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Gemma. I really appreciate it. Absolutely.